If you'd please remain standing for the scripture reading, which is John 3, verses 16 through 21. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can be, I invite you to be seated, please. This morning we are going to um, start by looking at one of the most well-known passages of Scripture from the Gospels, John 3.16, as we continue our sermon series where we are looking at uh, different areas or Scriptures where the light metaphor is used and where we talk about it and where Jesus talked about it and about followers of Him seeking to pursue the light. And so this morning I want to begin by inviting you to take a minute to look at John 3.16 where it comes to us as part of a larger interaction in the Gospel of John where John has told us an account of Jesus being visited in the middle of the night by a well-known Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus has heard of the ministry of Jesus. If you think about it, if he's a Pharisee, he has likely witnessed Some of the events that have occurred up to this point that have caused people to begin to uh, pay attention to who Jesus was, to question who Jesus was, to look at who Jesus might have been. And so I'm sure that Nicodemus has either seen or heard or some combination of the above that has prompted him to come to Jesus in the middle of the night in this secret visit. Now, I think it's interesting that John does not tell us something. He doesn't tell us if Nicodemus is there as a representative of a larger group who, you know, gathered together and drew straws and said, oh yeah, you have the longest straw, you have to go see Jesus. Or Nicodemus could be there for himself on his own, we don't know. But in either case, he comes to Jesus to ask him questions and in asking him questions to find out more information. And so he asks, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus responds by talking about the kingdom of heaven and being born again. Nicodemus responds with a question about how someone might be born again. Can you re-enter your mother and be born again? And what follows is this interaction where uh, Jesus and Nicodemus talk to each other and where Jesus ends by telling Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he sent his son to be lifted up. And in doing so, Jesus compares how he, the son of God, is going to be lifted up in the same way that Moses had the serpent lifted up in the book of Numbers in the wilderness when the people of Israel were being bit by poisonous snakes and people were dying. Moses crafted a snake out of bronze. They had it lifted on a pole and whoever had been bitten, if they gazed upon the pole, they were healed from the snake bite. 
You see, Jesus is using the Old Testament to show Nicodemus, and surely he knew Nicodemus would carry this message to others to show them and to tie them uh, what he was doing and what the Son of Man was going to be doing with what Moses had done, who they all looked to as the greatest prophet of Israel. So Jesus continues by saying, God gave his only Son. And this verse resonates with us because it tells us the extent of God's love for us. John tells us that God loved the world. Jesus tells Nicodemus that God loved the world. We have to understand that for Nicodemus, this would be a different understanding of the view of God's love and of how God's love was going to be and was manifest to the people. Only in Christianity does it say that God loves the entire world and sent the Messiah for all people. Only in Christianity do we hear the words that God loved the world. God sent the Messiah for all the people, but God also gives us all the opportunity to respond, right? To accept Jesus into our hearts, to set aside the sin that we commit, to choose to follow, to choose to improve, to choose to to be a disciple of Him. See, the Pharisees would have been looking for something different. They were looking for a Messiah that was coming to deliver Israel, for a Messiah that would love only Israel, and they were looking for a Messiah to come and make Israel truly God's kingdom. And so this would have been a little bit of a surprise, really, if you think about it. If Nicodemus is there and his vision of the world is is right here, and Jesus says to him, well, you need to understand God loved the whole world, and that's why he's sending his son for all of you for all of us, for this sacrifice that is going to be made on our behalf, not because of the work of what we have done, but because of the love of God. Yes, Jesus loves us, but John 3.16 tells us that even more importantly, it was the love that God has for each of us that placed Jesus on the cross. It wasn't Jesus' love, it was God's love. Because God so loved us, he sent his Son to be placed on the cross, to be lifted up like the servant was lifted up in the book of Numbers when the people of Israel were being bit so that if they gazed their eyes on the serpent, which was an idol, whatever, um, that they would be healed. But I think so often we stop at John 3.16. But I think what we have to do is we have to look at the larger uh, reference, the larger chapter of, of this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. Because if we stop at John 3.16, which is a great verse, it's a wonderful verse, it's one that resonates with us and, and tells us the very, um, you know, it, it's the essence of what, what it means and why God sent Jesus. But when we stop with it, we miss out uh, the part where Jesus tells Nicodemus about light and about darkness and about how those who choose to follow him must choose to follow or pursue living in the light. So in John 3.19, it says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So to paraphrase what Jesus is saying is that Jesus is saying we love darkness instead of light because the light exposes what we're doing. Think about it. Whenever we're living lives that are sinful or we're choosing to walk on a path that doesn't lead us to God, 
We often choose anything except pursuing the light of Jesus or being in the light of Jesus. Why do we do that? Why do we choose to do anything except pursuing the light of Jesus? It's because it's in our nature. It's because it's in our nature from from the very beginning as sinners to to dwell on our sin, to focus on ourselves. It's in our nature to, to try to keep up with the false illusion that we are in control and that everything else is about us. It's like we're reliving the words of Genesis 3. We're reliving the words of Genesis 3 where God has created the creation. God's created this perfect world. God has envisioned a perfect relationship with his creation. He places Adam and Eve in the center of the garden. He tells them everything in this garden is yours except for the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that or you will die. And of course, Genesis 3, we know the story. The serpent says to the woman, you're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God. You'll know good and evil. And so they ate of the fruit, and Genesis 3 says, The eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What did Adam and Eve do? From that day forward, the garden was closed to them and all of humanity. They ate of the fruit that God had told them not to. They sought the darkness when they heard the Lord was approaching They sought some place where there would be an absence of light, where they would not easily be found because their eyes were open, not to their being naked, their eyes were open to sin. Their eyes were open to deception. Their eyes were open to what it meant to fully be human. And so they hid. They got out of the sight, and they got out of mind because uh, what they had done and because of what was happening And so they hid. I mean, think about, um, like, it makes me think of, of, you know, when when a little kid is potty training, and they're supposed to be going to the bathroom in the potty, and what happens when either they don't make it or they decide to do otherwise? I mean, they'd be hiding behind the altar, right? Right? I mean, I know all of you can think of times with your own children, never mind, of course, but, um, you know, where... All of a sudden, you're like, where'd they go? You know, and someone's over in the corner or behind the couch, just like, yeah, don't look at me right now. See, but that's what Adam and Eve did, isn't it? It's like when we don't want to draw attention to what we're doing, when we don't want to draw attention to what we're uh, pursuing because we know that it takes us farther from God, we know that it keeps us from truly worshiping God, we know that it keeps us from truly engaging with other Christians, and so what do we do? We choose to separate ourselves. And Adam and Eve did the same thing. Like, golly, they were in the presence of God himself. They were in the garden. They ate of the fruit, and then it caused them to hide. It was because they were ashamed. It was because they knew that they were now insufficient. It was because their eyes were now open to the sin that was before them. And so they vanished. They hid. 
They sought the darkness where they didn't think they would be noticed or they didn't think they would be seen. I think the little kid hiding, you know, and, and finding a place in the darkness, I think it's kind of an amusing way to think about it. But we do the same thing. I mean, if we're engaged in sin, if you think of the times in your life maybe where, um, where you haven't been as diligent in your walk, for many of us, that's a time when we don't want to be in church, do we? We don't want to be around other Christians. We want to be isolated. We want to move away from those who hold us accountable. And so what we try to do is we try to compartmentalize who knows what's going on and, and what we're saying and what we're doing. And we deceive both ourselves as well as others. And we seek out those things that, that maybe fuel our pride or maybe fuel our self-centeredness or fuel our greed or fuel our hard-heartedness or fuel whatever it is that we're pursuing. Because it's in our nature to do that. It's in our nature to find those things and to pursue those things that take us away from God because that's how we're wired. We're wired because sin is a part of who we are, because of what happened in Genesis 3, because of our humanity, and what allows us to break that or rewire us is the gift of God that He's given us in His Son, Jesus. But we have to intentionally work to be there. We have to purposefully put ourselves in places where we both encounter the light of Jesus, but also where we're seeking out the light of Jesus. Because He knows us. He knows us at our very core. He knows our inclinations. And He knows, and this is why He says it, He says we love the darkness. Because we get it into our minds where we think that if we're not confronted with our sin and shortcomings, then we don't have to deal with it. We love the darkness where we uh, try to justify what we do and how we think and how we act. We love the darkness where we try to rationalize everything according to our own preferences. We love the darkness where anything goes especially when we falsely assume that we control what happens in the darkness. Because we get into our minds that anything and everything that happens entails uh, basically us. But see, that's not why Jesus came. And so in the Gospel of John 3, as he has this wonderful interaction with Nicodemus, as he tells Nicodemus why the Son of Man is coming, as he tells Nicodemus that, that the reason the Son of Man is going to be hoisted on a cross is just the same reason that Moses placed the bronze snake on the pole in the book of Numbers. It's so that whoever looks to him would receive life. Because Jesus came to bring us into the light. He came to invite us into the light. He came to draw us into the light. He came to be seen. Even if that meant being hoisted up on the Roman instrument that was a means to both execute while at, same, at the same time deter the populace. He came to be seen on the cross so that all who looked upon Him would choose to follow Him would choose to leave their sin behind and would choose to walk into the light that comes because it's the light of God Himself. 
Friends, John said, so that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So that the evil within us would be rooted out of us. So that we would be able to look to the cross of God and see and experience the full extent of his love. So that we can look to the cross and know that it was no accident. It was not an illusion. It was not a mistake. The cross was on purpose. For God purposefully placed Jesus on the cross to fulfill the very plan that he himself made to have a relationship with each of you. And so for us to seek the light, it means that some of the things that we may be hiding come exposed. But more importantly, it means that in that process, we open ourselves to God, we open ourselves to Jesus, and we offer and receive the greatest opportunity to bear fruit because of our faith as an outpouring of what we've been given and what we've received. But we have to seek the light. Amen.